Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring reproductive technology and life-changing stories. Here are your hosts, Jennifer White and Ellen Trackman. Welcome to I Want to Put a Baby in You, a podcast exploring all things reproductive technology. We, we really love the personal stories. We go into the science, we go into the, the craziness, the, the travel stories. I will say that today in our this special bonus episode, it includes all of those things, you know, science, travel, intrigue. We even have international relations with the military. So this is my bonus episode with my, my birth. Um, and since I haven't introduced myself, I am Jennifer White. I am the co-owner of Bright Futures Families, who that is also Colorado surrogacy, New Mexico surrogacy, and Montana surrogacy. And I am a proud infertility survivor, but I get to sit down and share my story of survival with the help of my sister, Ellen Trackman, who is my co-host here. Yes, thank you. I am Ellen Trackman. I am an attorney specialized in assisted reproductive technology law. I um, am honored to co-host this podcast. I also write a weekly column on assisted reproductive technology law for the website abovethelaw.com. Uh, run, a, run a law firm specialized in this area and um, co-own the surrogacy agency and support um, organizations in Colorado, New Mexico, and Montana. Uh, and I think this is a very special bonus episode. Um, because Jen's story is very um, dramatic and personal and touching, and also gets you um, you get a sense to know know more about um, one of our, one of your hosts and what she's been through. That's you know all part of our experiences for us. This place where we we want to be a resource and help others. So, um, without further ado, oh wait, hold on, I have to say no. also. Okay. Sorry, sorry. With further ado, okay. There yes. is yeah. With further ado, uh, there is also a bonus bonus to this bonus episode. Uh, you get to the pleasure of hearing Ellen's firstborn interviewing my firstborn uh, at the very end of this. It's a it's a fun little interview. Uh, so you get to get a little bit of insight into into our lives completely and the chaos that we live in. So and that that's a seven year old interviewing uh, a twelve year old. <laughs> that's exactly right. So enjoy. Welcome to a bonus episode of I Want to Put a Baby in You. So one of these bonus episodes is to get to know us, the co-hosts, a little bit better. And one way to do that is by telling our own birth stories. So in this episode, we'll be talking to Jennifer and going through her her journey with infertility, as well as, again, ruining the happy ending, which I like to and ruin endings, um, the happy ending of the birth of her daughter. Um, and everyone's birth story is unique and, and hers too has some, some scary twists and turns. Um, but let's, let's dive into it. So welcome, Jen. Yay. I'm here. I'm so <laughs> honored to be here. Oh, wait, never mind. I have to be here. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I guess we kind of had a, a typical start, you know, uh, boy meets girl, um, boy happens to be employee of girl, uh, girl asks for transfer because she refuses <laughs> to be the boss of boy. Uh, <laughs> and, um, but no, so we, um, dated for a few years, lived together and decided that maybe we should get married one day. So we did. And Ryan also wanted to join the military. So that was a, a big factor in uh, our decision and how we got married and when we got married, because uh, obviously we needed to be married if he was going to be part of the military. Um, so we happily moved across the country to New Mexico when he joined the military and he went off to basic training. And from that point, we kind of were not trying, why, not trying. Why do you move to oh, New Mexico? Why do you move to New Mexico? Because uh, that's where we're from. <laughs> I had family there. I, mean, I know. I know. <laughs> so we had family there and I wanted to be close to family and have some support while he was going to be away for an extended period of time. Uh, at the time, we actually lived in Washington, D.C. and didn't love our jobs, didn't love where we lived, and it just seemed like a, a better fit. And very honestly, we very naively thought it would be for a very short period of time. Uh, Ryan thought that he would just walk in and they would say, you know, on a Friday, and they'd be like, great, the bus leaves on Tuesday. And he'd be off and go on gone. Uh, the wait from when he went in to talk to the military to when he actually joined was more like eight months. <laughs> so it, wow. it ended up being a much longer period than we expected. Um, but, you know, that's fine. It's just part of the way things work. 
And so he went off to basic training and we moved to our first duty station in Alabama. And we lived in Alabama for four years. And, you know, during this time period, we were, you know, young, newlywed, married, but we weren't trying, not trying to have kids. We just thought that this was the way, you know, life happens. Well, as someone who's known you for a long time, I swear at one point you said we are never having kids. So clearly, sure. That and must have I mean, I think point. okay, that's that's fair. I think probably pre nine eleven, we were not really sure that we wanted to have kids, but we obviously that was during that time frame there, and we decided that maybe it would not be such a bad idea to have children. You know, I mean, also we were really, really young at that point, or it feels like in my perspective now, you know, 20 years later, it feels like we were really, really young. <laughs> sure. Um, so we actually moved from Alabama on to Clovis, New Mexico. And at that point, we actually decided that we seriously did want to have children. And we started to actively do all the things that, you know, people do. You chart everything and check and time everything. And, you know, every month you go through that two week wait and what, you know, okay, did it, did it happen this time? And, you, and you're watching all of the things and you're taking a, a million home pregnancy tests and month after month after month, you know, nothing. And so, it, you know, it, and it, it is astounding the feeling of loss you go through every month, even though you're not actually pregnant ever in there, you just, you have this hope and this feeling every single month that this is going to be it. And when it's not, it's just that, just the absolute low of disappointment of it didn't happen again. So we, we went through that for a long time. And finally, I mean, for most of a year, which obviously we were very young. And so we, it shouldn't have be, it shouldn't be taking that long. And we... How old were you at that time? Uh, I think I was... Yes, yeah, relative. <laughs> I, I will say by then I was in my late 20s. So I was 27, 28. Um, yeah, so I was still young enough that should be, you know, in that window where things should be happening fairly easily. And so we went to the, you know, of course, he's in the military. We go to the base doctor. And where we were, the only choice we had was to go to just the regular old clinic. And of course, because it's a very tiny base, we know all of these doctors socially. We know all this other stuff. And Ryan and I both have to go in there and, you know, very embarrassedly sit in front of this doctor who has to ask us full out with a straight face, are you doing it right? <laughs> and I thought, really? And you weren't? I, that was the answer? I, I wanted to go, do, can you give us a diagram? What do, what do we need to, what, what do we need to do to be, to, what, tell us what you mean by are you doing it right? But unfortunately, you know, again, we know these people socially, all this other stuff. I'm like, oh, this, this is actually, I, I think that makes it more horrifying than anything. It's like when you have to like look at these people in social settings also, you know, I, I, I'm very good at compartmentalizing going to the doctor. I, I don't care if I have a pap, ex, you know, pap exam and all this stuff. You know, doctors, they, they look at this stuff all day. But when, when you also have to go like have cocktails with somebody afterwards, <laughs> it feels very weird to have this conversation. Um, so after that, after we confirmed that we were in fact doing it right, uh, they said, well, you know, the only thing we can do from the military base side is to check his uh, sperm sample. And I, poor Ryan, he'll be completely mortified by this. But he, uh, they, they sent, get, handed him a cup and said, "Oh, go fill the cup." And he is like, uh, "Where?" And they're like, "Oh, well, there's a bathroom over there." And he's like, "Seriously, in in the public bathroom? This is this is what you're telling me to do?" And so he said, "Can I take it? Can I take it home?" Yeah. yeah. And he's like, "Can I take it?" Home? And we're not talking like a private public. We're talking like stalls. And so <laughs> he was like, can I, can I take it home and do it from home? And they said, yes, as long as it's back within 30 minutes of the sample being given. Um, we lived 25 minutes from the base. So, <laughs> and we lived in a very rural area with lots of dairy farms. So he, he kicked me out of the house when, when he did this. And I, I hear the story afterwards that he was in a panic because he got stuck behind a trailer a milk trailer, you know, a big truck, and he couldn't get to the base oh, and was absolutely panicking that he was going to have to do this again because of this truck. 
Um, so he gives a sample. He gets there in time. It, it turns out he is fine. So nothing, nothing wrong with him. Nothing wrong with me that they could see from a very basic perception. So we were then referred to a reproductive endocrinologist, which so many people on this path are. Uh, un- unfortunately, the closest reproductive endocrinologist to us at that point was a four-hour drive each way. It was not an easy wow. thing to uh, manage. So we went and the re- reproductive endocrinologist confirmed, you know, there's nothing wrong with either of you. Um, there's, you know, we can try to do IUI, we can try to do all these things, we can, you know, but but there's nothing wrong. And you sh- you sure you're you're doing it right? I, You know, at that point, I really started to question myself. I was like, "Uh, Dr. T, can you tell me if I'm doing it right? You know, (laughs) how do we know? What what is the confirmation on this? The confirmation would be a baby. And so far, we're not getting that confirmation. So maybe we aren't doing it right. Um, So at that point, you know, I think as a lot of people do, we got overwhelmed and we again went okay we, we can't afford all of these really expensive treatments we we don't have the time to drive back and forth you know 4 hours for you know small appointments and they couldn't do any of the other stuff anywhere else and given that he's in the military and time off is difficult especially for things that are of that nature it was almost impossible for us to continue with the reproductive endocrinologist so we kind of gave up honestly we soon after that we just said you know what that that's fine then we just won't be parents and uh it it, it was a weird liberating feeling at that point to kind of go okay we're we're done we're we're just not going to do this we're going to be when uh, our siblings have children we're going to be the coolest aunties and uncles ever and i mean I, I was going to say, I still hope that we are, because that's just the way it's supposed to be. (laughs) But, you know, we just thought, well, we'll just be really involved in our, you know, future nieces and nephews' lives. And that's how we will live vicariously through this. Uh, So we kind of kept on with our life. And uh, soon after that, Ryan uh, promoted to um, first lieutenant. And after his promotion ceremony, they do a big thing and they have this, you know, you go and you have a reception and they have to buy drinks for people in the amount of what your new promotion, you know, increases. So we had a huge open bar and all this stuff. And somebody was like, oh, do you want a drink? I was like, sure, I'll have a margarita. And they put that margarita in front of me and it was the worst smelling thing I had ever experienced in my life. And I pushed it away and I was just like, I, I, I can't handle this. I, I can't, it, this is disgusting. Of course, you know, the, the moral to that story is then a few days later, I was like, huh, no period. Did you, and you just thought it was like a weird margarita? Yeah. I just thought it was a weird margarita and I just wasn't going to drink it and whatever. It was his promotion. I wasn't going to get sloshed. So I wasn't like chasing down another drink or anything. Um, and uh, yeah, I took a pregnancy test a few days later, and it came out positive. Aww. So the first uh, creature I told was my cat. <laughs> okay, the cat was pretty annoyed uh, by I, it. I turned and I looked at the cat, and I, I probably said something, you know, profane. <laughs> and I said, I, I'm pregnant. And just for listeners' knowledge, we are interviewing the cat next. Just kidding. We're not. Uh, yeah, it's it's been enough years now that the cat is no longer with us, unfortunately. Oh, so, oh, okay. um, yes, this is this is an old story. <laughs> um, but so then I went and uh, went to the store. I went to I went to work that morning, very calmly, shaking, you know, the whole way. Went to the store and surprised Ryan at lunch with a, um, a something like best daddy in the world bib or something like that just to give him that. And that's how I told him that he was going to be a father. Uh, so yay. Exciting news. So, so how did he react? Uh, he, I, I, he, he turned pretty pale <laughs> <laughs> and considering we're both pretty pale as it is, that was pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was really excited. So, I mean, Ooh. just grinned from ear to ear. Um, uh, and you know, of course, then I had to send him back to work, but you know, that's okay. <laughs> uh, so uh, our child was at his promotion to first lieutenant. So, you know, we we just didn't know it. That that was what that came from. 
but you know, then this is kind of uh, early summer at this point. And we found out a few weeks later that Ryan was deploying to Iraq, which is really, really terrifying by itself. And then even more terrifying when you're pregnant. And it turned out that he was deploying and leaving when I was somewhere around four months pregnant. And he was due back 10 days before my due date. So we, we knew we were cutting it close and, and, you know, that's the way it is. Uh, but there were a lot of other logistical issues that you don't think about with the military populace versus the regular populace. That was um, Ryan's first deployment. And it, uh, he turns out the military still requires uh, their members to be vaccinated for smallpox just in case of a, you know, biochemical attack. Well, you know, most of the general populace is not vaccinated for smallpox anymore. And I'm of that age level. I'm just a few years on the side where people stopped being vaccinated for it because it had been eradicated. And so was Ryan. So he needed that vaccine. Unfortunately, if you're pregnant, you cannot be around somebody who's been vaccinated for smallpox because the virus sheds. Oh, wow. oh. Hmm. So normally they make them vaccinate 30 days in advance of the deployment, which would have meant that Essentially, his deployment would have been extended for 30 days because we wouldn't have been able to be in the same house for 30 days before that. Uh, the military luckily made a very kind exception for us. And they uh, waited. They, I literally, I dropped him off and he walked to the clinic, was vaccinated, and then walked over to the, you know, and left. So they they allowed him to do it on the very last day before he left. So that that was good. But that was just something that we did not think of. And I think most people don't realize that that is a, a huge, huge deal. And at that point, I was like, you might as well go now because, you know, <laughs> you can't come home for a month anyway. You might as well just get that deployment out of the way. Um, so he, you know, he got on, got on the way. It, it also takes them uh, a few days to leave the country. So usually they go to, you know, whatever San Antonio, they spend a few days, you know, gathering their stuff, making sure everything's in order. And just as uh, I, I remember this very clearly because I was still able to speak to him in the United States, um, he was sitting on the runway on an airplane in San Antonio, and I had just gotten a call from the doctor's office that said that our um, triple screen, you know, that border or quad screen, whatever the blood test is, had come back as abnormal, and they wanted to see me first thing the next morning. And I mean, so I remember, I mean, again, he was on an airplane about to leave to go overseas and and we had to have this conversation because they wouldn't tell me what it was. All they said was, it's abnormal. We need you to come in tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. for an ultrasound. And I knew, I knew the doctor's office didn't open until 830. Wow. So I knew they were pushing me in early to get and And that was scary because if they're getting you in before everybody else comes in, that that usually means really bad news. So we had to have a very hurried conversation over the phone about what we would do if something was wrong. Um, and we had not even, that had not even crossed our mind. You know, why, why would you think about that? You always just assume your baby is perfect until you're told otherwise. Uh, so we had decided that if it was something such as Down syndrome or things like that, we, this, this is our child, we would love it. We would, you know, that that's what we would we would do we would continue onward uh went in the next morning and the ultrasound technician looked and she said well she said everything looks fine as far as i can see and you know she you know i got to see the heartbeat and baby was alive things were okay there she showed me you know baby had limbs baby you know all those things that you you look at and they pulled me into the doctor's office afterwards. And the doctor said, I've never seen anything like this. But he said, you don't have any HCG in your blood. And he said, you're pregnant. You, there's a baby in there. You, you know, you, you don't have what you're supposed to have. And he said, this is not, not right. He said, I've never seen this before. And he said, we, we've got to send you on to a perinatologist. Um, I, again, so distinctly remember some of these things because they couldn't get me in. It was a holiday weekend. It was Labor Day weekend, which, by the way, is my birthday weekend, uh, <laughs> right before this happened. And did he have theories about what that meant or what that could be? That, that doctor had zero theories. 
He had no idea. Oh. So he's just like, you, you have to go to the perinatologist. And, you know, so this was the week before Labor Day. And they couldn't get me in until I think the Wednesday following or something. And that was also, oh, I know. And that was also when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. So I, I drove, we were six hours from our parents' house. So I drove up and I sat on the couch at our parents' house all weekend and cried and, you know, missed my husband because he had just left and cried because, you know, he was gone, cried because I had this horrible potential bad news, cried because Hurricane Katrina. I was just like, I, I, w- I was a wreck. Uh, the Wednesday following, I, it was a, again, because it was such a rural base, it was a two and a half hour drive to the clinic where I had to go for the perinatologist. And uh, luckily, and I'm very thankful because I was like, I'll go by myself. It's fine. I, you know, it's just going to be fine. I, I have a very dear friend who was like, you, you may not go by yourself. I, I will go with you. I, you know, cause no matter what good news or bad news, you're going to want somebody with you. And I, I'm really thankful that she did. Uh, cause the perinatologist, it, was the consult from hell. He had zero bedside manners. Uh, he was a horrible, horrible person, just as a person. He was probably a really great doctor. Well, wow. he was a really great And He brought me in, sat me down, and he said, well, I used to work at such and such prestigious university, and I have seen only seen this a few times, and it is likely one of three things. And I was like, okay. And he said, one, there was a mistake at the lab. That's not the case. I've seen this before. And he said, two, the child has ichthyosis, which is basically fish scales. And, um, it, you know, that you can live, but it's, it's very, very painful. And he said, but that would only be the case, and it would only affect the child if it's a boy. So apparently that, that genetic marker only turns on if they're male, if they're female. And we had no idea what gender the child was at this point. And he said, or the baby has no kidneys and is going to die. And he said, I oh. I have a feeling that's what it is. And it, Oh, wow. He said, that's what it is. And he hmm. goes, oh, the ultrasound tech's not ready. Can you go sit in the waiting room and wait? Oh, my God. And... and I, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, what, what, what caused Maybe you should have done the ultrasound before telling you that. I, yeah. And, you know, so I'm sitting there and I was like, okay, wait, wait, what, what could have caused this? What, what risk factors in my life? And he goes, oh, he goes, well, you know, only people who have lived near like nuclear waste, you know, facilities in their life. And, you know, I'm sure that's not you. And I just looked at him and I was like, I, I don't even know if you're trying to be funny or not. I said, but I grew up in Los Alamos, New Mexico. I said, you know, where the nuclear weapons are made i'm like i'm I, not like i was handling nuclear waste but your joke was not funny at all <laughs> and, um yeah so he sent me back to the waiting room and i sat in a waiting room full of couples you know with big pregnant bellies who were smiling and sobbed again you know just and i'm, I'm so thankful that my friend was there with me um the tech pulled me back and I explained with all desperation possible in my voice that I needed to know what was going on because the baby had to have kidneys and I needed to see those kidneys. And at this point, Ryan is trying desperately to call me. At this point, he's he's landed in Kuwait. So he's sitting in Kuwait waiting to ship onward. And he's trying to call and trying to get like every, you know, tidbit as possible. And he only has, you know, two minutes at a time and has to keep like rotating back through the phones. And I'm like, we're just waiting. We're waiting to see, waiting to see. And the tech to her, I mean, the poor thing, she was, she was desperate. She was trying to find out. Too. I was like, I need to know two things. I said, I need to know the gender. And I said, and I need to know if the baby has kidneys because the dog and how far how far along were you at this so i was 19 weeks at this point and the reason why so they should know right right and and the reason why it was so vital about the kidneys thing was he said that the baby can live off of you as the mother until about 22 weeks and that's why so the baby could live but then if didn't have kidneys then i was facing a child that was about to die and um so that's why, like, I mean, it was horrifying. And she couldn't find the kidneys. And I mean, she just, you know, she was like, I, I, I can't. She goes, I, I'm really sorry. She goes, let me go get the doctor. And did she tell you the sex? Of so the they baby? couldn't figure it out. 
Couldn't, no idea. They didn't know the sex. No, couldn't find the gender. Wow. No idea about sex. And couldn't find kidneys. Right. Oh, my. right. So I'm sitting there, and finally she brings a doctor in, and I, you know, to credit the baby's just not cooperating at that point, and you know the story of story of life, and he comes in and he jabs that ultrasound wand. I mean, it was the most painful ultrasound I've ever had, and he goes, "Oh, right there. There's blood flow to the kidneys. There's kidneys," and it was just like. <sighs> relief okay what one problem down now now we need to face the second problem couldn't figure out the gender that day so he's like okay well we have kidneys so we're we're in a good situation here so now we're back down to the last two options he said let's run your blood again just to you know see see if it comes up with different results or anything else um he said and i was just curious did you just take like a an over-the-counter pregnancy test again because that would have shown hcg right uh, i didn't take no i didn't take another one i didn't even think at the time i didn't even think of that you know why why would i have and i mean now knowing what i know i would know that that's what that would have been but um he, so he said let's run blood test again he said and come back in two weeks uh, it was the longest two weeks of my life um went back my same friend came with me and this time he, the doctor looks at me and he goes, oh, he goes, it, probably somebody swapped your blood at the lab. He goes, you're fine. I was like, you're, wow. you're kidding me. I was like, I've been through basically a month of hell now between all of this. And I'm like, at least tell me what gender my darn baby is. <laughs> <laughs> so they did another ultrasound and it turns out that it was a girl. So yay. yay! So even if it had been the other, she she was just being her, and I'll, I'll tell you from years of experience now, this is just you know her par for the course. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I actually had a super uneventful rest of the pregnancy. Things were great. Things were fine. I went back. I got lots and lots of ultrasounds because, you know, they like to take lots of ultrasounds once you've been to a perinatologist. Um, and so then they, we get closer and we're getting down to the end. And of course I'm starting to get super uncomfortable and everybody around me was phenomenal knowing that Ryan was gone. Uh, we weren't allowed to drink the tap water where we were. So we had to have those big, you know, five gallon things that turned over. And as a pregnant lady, that that's tough. (laughs) So I, you know, I had phenomenal neighbors who were always on call, who were always like calling me, can I put another water thing on your water cooler? Can I come change your light bulbs? Do your cat boxes need to be changed? Do you, you know, I mean, just, yeah, really uh, military community just pulls together in situations like that. And it was really great. And remind me, when was she due versus when Ryan was scheduled to come back? So she was do actually it was only a few days difference so i think she was due on the 28th and he was due home on the sorry i'm trying to remember by memory here and he was due home on like the 25th or 26th something along that line i so it was only it was it turned out it was only a few days difference between um so we get closer there to the end and yeah, they know they leave the country far before they get home, and they, it's usually it's one of those things that they go through and they say, you know, okay, we're leaving, we're going to go to Kuwait. You go have to have your reacclimation time in Kuwait and all this stuff. And one night, I woke up in the middle of the night to pee because you know that's what you do when you're pregnant. And I was like, wow, I am really damp. Like, you know, I, I don't think I'm losing bladder control. Okay. You know, this is like 3 a.m. And so I get up and I pee and I go back to bed. Don't think much of it. And 5 a.m. I get up and I'm like, whoa, I am pretty darn damp here. (laughs) And I'm like, I suspect my water has broken. So I pee and like all good pregnant women, I go back to bed. (laughs) And at about 7 a.m. I get up and again, I go, okay, I, I know my water is broken. And it didn't, it wasn't gushing at this point. But so you don't have like pouring. Yeah. You just have like a leak. I, I have a leak. I know it's broken though. So I, you know, I, that, you know, you know what that means. That means that they're going to fully break it and the baby's going to come within 24 hours. But I wasn't contracting. I wasn't actually gushing any water. I wasn't any of those things. 
And so I was like, I'm going to take a shower now because if I don't take it now, nobody is going to let me do anything after this. Um, took a shower before I called anybody to let them know. Uh, took my shower. Then I get an email from Ryan and he says, just so you know, this is the last email you'll get from me. I'm on my way home. You know, he's... Oh, no. I mean, so he's leaving because he's leaving the country and I won't be in contact with him uh, again until he basically gets back to the United States. And I... He said, I'll, he said, I'll talk to you soon, or I can't remember exactly what he said. And I, of course, you know, Ryan and I pick at each other constantly. And I wrote back and I said, well, I said, I said, well, I'm having a baby in the next 24 hours. I, I can't remember exactly how I said it, but it was just like, was, and I'll tell you what, my phone rang within moments after that. Oh. <laughs> he was obviously still sitting at his desk. So... Um, yeah. So he was like, what? What? Oh my God. I was like, yeah. Um, yeah. My water I'm sure is broken. I'm about to call everybody, you know, call everybody in. Um, but I was like, I'm not in labor, but I know she's, I know she'll be here in the next 24 hours. And, um, I then turned around. I, I had a backup plan cause I knew there was a very high likelihood that Ryan wouldn't be home. And I sent a, this is in the days of Yahoo messenger, you know, this dates everything. Uh, I sent a, a message to my next door neighbor who was going to be my support person all the way through. And they had just been talking about, they were going to go to Lubbock that next day and they were going to go buy, look for a new car and all this stuff. And so I sent her a message and I said, Hey, are you um, going to be going to Lubbock to look for a car today? I said, cause I, you know, I said, no, I, I might need you. And she said, well, no, she said, I just got home a few minutes ago. She said, Dan passed a kidney stone and I was in the emergency room with him all night last night. Oh no. And I was like, hey, never mind. My water broke. I'll find somebody else because you need to rest and take care of him. And she was like, nope, I'll be there in 10 minutes. <laughs> so she, I mean, came over. And I mean, again, this is she's been with her husband now all night in, in the emergency room. And she, this is 7 a.m., you know, well, probably closer to 8 a.m. at this point by the time I've done everything. And she comes over and gets me and my water broke all over their car for grief. <laughs> uh, by the time I got into the hospital, I was like, they were like, uh, why are you here? I'm like, I, I'm in, I, I said, my water's broken. And they're like, yeah, we'll have to go do a confirmationary swab. And I just stood there and just like kind of pushed my legs apart. And I was just like dripping all over the floor. And they were like, never uh... mind, your water is broken. I'm like, Yes. Yes, it has. Thank you very much for believing me. Uh, We're going to have to give a graphic advisory now about this episode. <laughs> I, I just dripping. It's like you peed yourself, right? You know? Right. Uh, yeah. So I was sitting there, but I never went into labor. I never had contractions. I never, so I'm sitting there in the, you know, whatever, as they do your intake paperwork. And somebody was like, you're the happiest, like most calm pregnant woman, like in labor ever. And I'm like, cause I'm not in labor. There, there is no laboring going on. Mm. No, nothing is going on here. Uh, yeah. So they admit me, you know, all this stuff. And they're like, okay, well, let's see if we can get labor going. So I walked the halls of the hospital all day long. All day long. To the point where I actually went and visited a friend of mine who also was pregnant at the same time of me as me, who had a baby that morning. <laughs> I went and saw her. So she was two weeks late. I was at this point 10 days early. And I was like, hey, let me see the baby. You know, all this time. I mean, like, because I just had nothing to do but wander the halls of the hospital. Um, you know, as the day went on, just nothing. Nothing was progressing. And then it started to get weird. The power went out at the hospital. So, it, like, oh. and we're now on emergency generator power. And they're trying to keep all the essential services going. Uh, by, and I will say also my friend who came with me to, um, the perinatologist appointments was also there through, she rushed to the hospital as well. So she was there with me as well. Um, just you know, again, incredible, incredible support all the way through this. Uh, Ryan is calling me every chance he gets, you know, like what's going on? What do I do? You know, you're just in an absolute panic as to what's happening. They finally at 10 p.m. that night were like, hey, we're going to start Pitocin because you are obviously not going to go into labor by yourself. And 
I will say that people who go through Pitocin drips are rock star heroes because that is the most evil way to go into labor. It, it, you know, it's like at least when you go through, like from what I'm understanding from people who've been through both, like if you go into regular labor, you're, you're slowly ramping into it. When they give you Pitocin, it is like the intensity hits, hits hard, hits now. And it's like you go from, you know, zero intensity to 10 right away. And so then I'm just going, okay, I I don't even know if I can handle this. So I, I labored for, you know, hour, hour and a half. And I hit the point where I was just like, hey, you know, I, I'd really think that I can't do this. I, I'd like an epidural now. At which point they went, oh, yeah, no, the anesthesiologist has already gone home for the night. It's too bad. Oh, no. Wow. And, and I'm going, I, I, what? No, no, you, like 20 minutes ago, you guys asked me if I wanted one. And I didn't know that was last call. Nobody told me this is like a bar. <laughs> right. Oh, my uh, gosh. So at, at that wow. point, I'm going, okay, how am I going to survive this? I, I can't. I, th- this pain is so intense, you know, as I'm going through each of these contractions. And of course, I'm not making any progress because it's Pitocin. And, you know, it doesn't mean that your cervix is going to cooperate. It just means you're going to contract. A few minutes after that, they were like, okay, well, we, we'd like you, because your contractions are so intense, we'd like you to stay in the bed. So let's do internal monitoring. And so they went and they attached a monitor to her head. And that's when they realized something was really, really wrong. Um, oh, no. So every time they, I was contracting, it was essentially cutting her heart rate almost completely off. Mm. Um, so the power is still out at this point and it is now 1142 because I looked at the clock and they said the baby is coming now. And I was like, what? And they're like, we don't even, we, we need your consent, but we don't need your consent for a C-section baby is coming now. And I was like, okay, baby's coming now. And I, in my head, I'm going, huh, don't, don't you need an anesthesiologist for this? But I didn't. I didn't say it. <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I only know this from the records as to when she was born, but she was born seven minutes later. It, it Was there an anesthesiologist? Uh, yes, because they put me, they managed to put me all the way under. Um, yeah. So they put me out and pulled her out. So, um, as a result of whatever had been wrong, which it turns out her cord had been, she, she was a little gymnast and her cord was wrapped around her neck uh, about four times. So she was just, every time it was contracting, there just wasn't enough space and it was pushing her and it was cutting off all of her, her blood flow. Um, so she was, you know, essentially killing herself as she was going, uh, her, Apgars were really low, you know, and again, some of the stuff I only know from, you know, people telling me because I, I, I was completely out. I, I was in recovery at this point. My, my friend, they allowed her to stay and she took pictures during the entire thing. So I actually have a photo of her the very moment she was born, um, just cause she stood there and took those pictures for me. And she stayed in the OR cause they, they whisked Katie off into the corner, um, you know, with the pediatrician and the pediatrician just sat with her and worked on her. And my friend stayed as long as she could in the room until they kicked her out. And then she stood outside um, and watched through the window for a couple hours um, and watched her take care of Katie and, you know, do what they needed to do for her. Um, I actually did not get to see her until she was about four hours old. Um, And again, my friend, incredible friend, stayed with me all the way through until she said, I'm not leaving until you, you have get to see her. Um, so I, you know, I did a few hours later it was phenomenal. It was everything it was supposed to be. I'm going to cry myself thinking about it right now. Um, you know, I got to hold her the first time and I got to tell Ryan that, you know, he had a baby girl, which we knew was coming, but you know, that, you know, spoiler <laughs> alert, it was really a girl. <laughs> uh, we, we figure that he was likely, in the air over Kuwait when she was born. And so that's kind of our, our best guess as to where he was at this time. Uh, so I got to, I, I got to have my baby with me and because of the power outage, 
the um, HVAC system broke in the hospital. <laughs> and this is the middle of winter. And it unfortunately broke in the way that I suppose was for the best in that it broke with the heat on at full blast at top temperature. Oh, wow. So I slept the first night sweating. You know, of course, I'm also probably hormone sweating, but in such high heat with the window open, it was snowing outside, had the window open because that's the only way I could like keep the room even close to a temperature that was bearable. Uh, so... um couple hours after I, you know, after I'd had her with me, um, all of a sudden she spit up and it was black and I watched her gasp it back in and I, I called the nurses and she had um, aspirated on meconium. So back to the NICU with my little one. Um, so for four days she had, she had aspirated meconium and had pneumonia or came down with pneumonia as a result. So she spent four days in the NICU. And again, people have been, you know, so incredible through, were so incredible through all of that, that the doctor just looked at me and he goes, um, yeah, I medically can't release you from the hospital right now. Yeah. Wink, wink. And he let me stay. He, he kept me in the hospital until your, your insurance company is listening to this. FYI. I, I, I know it's, it's far too late now, far too late. Um, he, he said, you, you can stay, you stay as long as you, you need to. He said, I'm not going to let you go home alone without your baby. And, um, so it, they, and the staff was really incredible. They actually moved me to the room closest to the NICU um, as that room became available, just because I was like toddling up and down the hall, like with my, you know, C-section recovery and my little pole. And uh, so I got to go down and sit with her as much as possible. They obviously couldn't bring her to me, but I would, I'd go down and sit with her as long as I could. And uh, parents drove in, Ryan's brother, to his credit, you know, he was, he was in medical school at the time. And he said, I'm in a weird like thing. I don't actually have anything going on for a couple of weeks. You know, I'm in like a weird rotation right now. He said, I'll just come down and help you. So <laughs> he actually flew down so that he could drive mm-hmm. us home from the hospital and be with us until Ryan got home. Um, and he did. So Ryan's brother drove us home from the hospital, you know, drove you know, 10 miles an hour all the way home. And I looked at him and I said, great, you're a doctor. You you can change diapers. And he, and he said, oh, no, I, I've never changed a diaper in my life. <laughs> he said, I've never changed a diaper in my life. We don't, we don't learn that. Um, yeah. So they don't teach he, that? I did not ever change any of my child's diapers as far as I can recall at that point. Um, but uh, <laughs> we knew at that point that obviously Ryan was coming back to the States and he was home six days later than that. So he was home 10 days after she was born. And uh, Noah drove us to the hospital and we went to go and they, they were very, very kind. And they let both of us, because I couldn't carry her myself because of the weight restriction. And so they let both of us through security. So we got to meet him coming off the plane. And I, I wish I had taken, fo- I wish I had taken photos because he picked up that baby and he almost crashed into every obstacle on the way because he couldn't take his eyes off of her. <laughs> um, yeah. So love at first sight. He's a, uh, you know, she, daddy, daddy's girl all the way. And it's, it's been from that first moment all the way through. And so that, that's that. So that was her, her entire birth story. And how old is she now? She is 12. She is 12 and full of preteen spit and vinegar. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. Yeah. So we survived. We We made a good baby. Right. Well, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that as a bonus after this, we have a small interview of her as well so this that'll yes. get stitched in right after this <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you for letting me um tell it i'm really excited to share this with everybody thank you all right bye i i think today's lesson of the day is really um and i hate to be you know schmarmy and trite but you know love kind of love conquers all that you know there really is a good reason to hold out hope and that these things will happen for people and honestly 
everything in the end works out all right. You know, we're we're happy. We've made it. You know, he made it home, maybe just a few days late, but you know, the baby's here. She's happy. She's healthy. Life is good. So that's that's kind of my my takeaway that that life life is good. Let it let it be good to you. If you've enjoyed this podcast or any of our others, we would really, truly uh, encourage you and appreciate if you would head over to iTunes. I know that from here, this is only available on Patreon, but if you would head over to iTunes and give us a rating and a review, iTunes really likes the when people type in the, the words. Uh, it, it would help us a lot to really encourage this podcast growth. Um, and obviously... If you're listening to this, you are already subscribed to Patreon, and we really appreciate your your patronage to us and your encouragement and and being here with us through this process. So we enjoy telling our stories and uh, hope you enjoyed. What's your favorite color? White. What's your favorite food? Um, pizza. What's your favorite treat? Treat. Um, chocolate. What's your favorite subject in school? Reading. What's your favorite sport? Soccer. What's your favorite hobby? Reading. How old are you? Eleven. What's your name? Should I do my full name? Catherine Ann White. Who's your favorite aunt named Ellen? You. <laughs> oh, okay. That actually was a hard one because you have more than one aunt named Ellen, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> Who's your favorite cousin named Mira? The mirror that is standing next to you. Do you remember your birth? January 18th, 2006. You remember your birth date. Um, Have you ever heard your mom tell the story of your birth? No. No? She's never told you the dramatic story about how excited she was for you, and then you came all of a sudden, and they had to do an emergency surgery to save you. And they were so excited when you arrived. I've heard the the part when I was three years old. Right? That you had to you had a surgery then too and you were in the hospital. Did you mm-hmm. know that your parents wanted you for a really, really long time? And that they hoped and they tried and it took a long time, but they finally got pregnant with you. Yes. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Mm, don't know. <laughs> I make me feel pretty special knowing my parents really wanted me. Mm-hmm. Mira, do you have other questions? What's your favorite animal? Cat. What's your favorite movie? Mm, all of them. What is your favorite show? Um... Grand Tour. What's your favorite book? Warriors or Garfield. What's your favorite song? Um, Wild Thing by Alicia Cara. Can you sing it? No. <laughs> What's your favorite restaurant? Um... What was that restaurant where we used to go for these really good meals in London? All of the restaurants in England. (laughs) What's your favorite thing to do with your mom? Go to Books a Million and buy books. Hint, hint. (laughs) Good answer. Do you have a pet? Yes. What is it? Two dogs. What do you do with your dogs? Play tug. I I fed them two two toys and I walk them sometimes. 
What do you want to be when you when you grow up? Editor, policeman, and something else. That's what I want to be when I grow up. An editor? No, a police. Oh, good for you. Maybe you guys can be partners on the beat. <laughs> Maybe. Who is your best friend? Richard, Max, and Nia. What's your favorite vegetable? Um, salad. If that comes from the ground and is a vegetable. What's one thing you wish you knew how to do? Read faster. Oof, that's a good one. Okay. What is something that makes you really happy? Reading. <laughs> How old are you now? Eleven. What do you think the best age to be is? How old are you? Old. <laughs> old. <laughs> <laughs> However old my mom is right now. Oh, you think that's the best age to be? Yeah. Is she not admitting to you how old she is? I think she is 40. What do you say, 70? 40. Oh, 40. <laughs> I don't know. Four, 25, I think. No! <laughs> that means you would be her big sister. That's a good point. Are you her um, Katie, if you knew this was being broadcast to the world, is there anything you'd want to say to tell everyone? Like, best wishes for the holidays or anything else you'd want to tell everyone? Merry Christmas. Send to all a good na- night. That's nice. Thank you for talking to us. You're welcome. Bye.